We're starting a new series today called The Church Jesus is Building. The Church, the Church Jesus Loves, but it's The Church Jesus is Building. And that's going to be our series until the end of November, where we hit December and then we'll start our Christmas program. So, a new series today, and I want to read to you from the book of Acts, which is really where you need to go when you want to find out about the church and how it started. And so we begin that series today. We're not staying in Acts through the series. We're going to be jumping into different passages and dealing with different topics and different issues. But today is the kickoff day. And uh, I commend to you our life groups study guide. They're available for you out there. Grab those. That's got the first three studies in it. You'll see what they are. And please be in prayer for not just me, but for the other pastors as well as they and our students as they prepare to participate in this series. Um, let me pray, and then I'm going to read God's Word. Again, Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity we have freely to be together. We thank you for each other. We thank you for the Lord Jesus, for your Spirit and for your Word. And we pray now that the Holy Spirit might take the Word of God and that he might point us to the Son of God, to the Lord Jesus. And Lord Jesus, thank you for this church, and we pray that this church would be a church that you're building and building it according to your plans, your desires, the way that you want it to be. And we're glad to be part of the process. So Lord, speak to us this morning, and we pray for the churches, our brothers and sisters around us, that you'll be with them and that you'll bless them. We pray in your name. Amen. Book of Acts? Oh, NIV. Oh, I'll read ESV. Let me encourage you to bring your Bibles, whether it's on your phones or iPads or electronic ones, or whether it's your own, the original, hard copy versions. <laughs> Let me encourage you to bring your Bible and to be checking always what I say, what people say from the pulpit. Um, because it's God's Word which is the important thing, which is the inspired truth, not the words that we say about it. Our words should be explaining what God's words are teaching us and amplifying it so that we have a deeper understanding of what he wants us to know. So this is the promise of the Holy Spirit that the Lord Jesus gives before he leaves. Um, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you've heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. When he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. While they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. 
Well, that's where we're starting. We're going to read some other parts of Scripture. Acts 1 and 2 is the passage, really, that we're going to work our way through today as we begin this series on the church Jesus is building. There's lots of material in the New Testament. In fact, there are 96 metaphors. It's kind of hard to believe. 96 pictures of the church in the New Testament. Many of those pictures are just simply a one-word image. But nonetheless, a scholar has written a book about it, and he's counted up 96 metaphors. Or of course, there are about a top five or six that get repeated over and over and over. The church is his body, the church is a flock, and so on. The church is like a temple, the church is the people of God. Um, 96 different images. And so we're going to look at some of those images, if you like, some of those aspects of what makes up the church the Lord Jesus is building over the next six to eight weeks. Because the question for us to focus is, what sort of a church does the Lord Jesus want us to be here at SDBC? And is that what we are being? Are we doing and being what he wants us to do and be? Well, here is the truth for today. The Lord Jesus is building his church and his church is built on believers. It's a, what theologians call a regenerate membership where no one is excluded but only believers are included where everybody is invited and welcome but only those who receive Jesus only those who confess him as Lord ask him to be their savior are included in his body the church you have to be not just a believer you need to be born again and to believe in the Lord Jesus to be a part of his church that's the church he is building that's a church of people not buildings so there are four simple points that i want to go through today quickly through acts one and two it's the story of how did the church start well number one the story of the church starts with jesus in this passage that i just read to you acts 1 1 to 11 it's the jesus we love the jesus who is building his church is the jesus who was alive who was on earth but he is alive and now in heaven he puts his life into us as we believe in him he is therefore building a living church you are the church this is not the temple of god this is not the house of god you are the temple of god you god's people gathered together at the temple of god well luke is the one who starts telling us this story he's the author of acts and he writes it to this friend as he identifies theophilus theophilus's name means theo is god philos is either friend or love depending on context so it's either a person who loves god his name means or a person who is a friend of god and some commentators even want to say it's not a real person it's but rather written to anybody who was a friend or a lover of god that's the story of the church and what does Luke tell us about the story of the church? Well, it's about Jesus and his spirit. Jesus was and is God, the second member of the Trinity. He came to earth, took on a human body, became fully human. And in his ministry on earth, you know this, he cast out demons, he heals people, he heals lepers, he raises the dead, heals the blind, heals deaf people. He teaches with authority, he walks on water, he feeds thousands of people on several occasions. He always said no to sin. And he always said yes to the Father. He was always doing what the Father was prompting him to do. Every time. John's Gospel, particularly from memory, about a dozen times Jesus refers to that sort of relationship. 
Luke is the one who particularly tells us about Jesus' relationship to another member of the triune God, to the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is God, fully God. But when he became human, the Bible teaches us that he set aside his divine skills, his divine abilities, his divine attributes, if you like. It's a mystery. We don't fully understand it. We just know that the Bible provides that sort of hint so that when Jesus came, he put aside what he could do himself. He lived as a human, just like us, tempted, hungry and tired. But he did so under the complete anointing and filling of the Holy Spirit. John chapter 3, I think it is, says that Jesus received the Spirit without measure, without limit. Completely under the control, influence, filling, the anointing and leading of God's Holy Spirit. That's how Jesus did what he did. And you see, that's important because what that means, he did that as a human. That means we, as born-again transformed humans, we can do the same thing. We can't. The Holy Spirit in us can do the same thing. That's why sometimes in the place of the world today, people get healed. It's not us, it's the Holy Spirit. It's the life of Jesus in us doing it. Well, that's the church that Jesus is building. He's wanting his life to be in us, his people, and to be flowing out. Luke chapter 1, just to emphasize this, Luke chapter 1 tells us Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Luke chapter 2 calls him the Christ. That means he's the one who was anointed by the Holy Spirit. Luke chapter 3 is his baptism, where there is the voice from heaven. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And the Holy Spirit, what? Descends on him in the form of a dove. Jesus is the one on whom the Spirit comes. Luke chapter 4 says, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he was tempted by the evil one. When he returns from that desert experience of 40 days, he came in the power of the Spirit, Luke 4 says. And then in verse 18 in Luke chapter 4, he stands up in a synagogue in Nazareth and he begins by saying, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Jesus' ministry is inseparably linked to the person and work of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit was in him, the Spirit was working through him. And so that's what we have in Acts chapter 1, when the church that the Lord Jesus is wanting to build, he gives exactly those same instructions. What happened to me, he says, needs to happen to you. Not the same manifestations, but the reality. That just as I have the anointing, the presence of the Spirit in me, so you need the Holy Spirit. Now this is theologically controversial but avoiding totally the controversy and just taking this at rather simplistic face value Luke tells us in chapter 1 all the things that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up gave commands through the Holy Spirit presented himself alive to them verse 4 while he was with them he said wait in Jerusalem until you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, until you receive this empowering, this filling, this anointing of God's Spirit. And that's what they do. They wait in Jerusalem, and we know it's for 10 days. And we even know what they're doing during those 10 days. I'll talk about that in just a moment. Jesus' point is this. Before you can live the life of a follower of Jesus, before you can do ministry for him, you need the Holy Spirit. That's true from now on. The Christian life is not a life that, not just a life that we live for God. It's not just us trying to follow Jesus. It's rather his life living in us. 
and us responding to that inner spirit within us, that he takes up residence within us, every room, not just a compartment. It's very unhelpful teaching, whoever started the teaching decades ago now, that when you receive the Holy Spirit, Jesus comes in, he comes in as saviour. And maybe later on, you'll make him Lord. That it's possible for you to have Jesus as saviour, but not to have Jesus as Lord. And I want to say to you this morning, that's nonsense. It's not true. You know, if, if, if I put it harshly, then it's, it's heresy. It's false teaching. You don't get Jesus in one capacity and not the other one. He is saviour and Lord. He is Lord and saviour. He is him. And he comes as Lord. And if he hasn't come as Lord, then he probably hasn't come as saviour. Now, I'm not talking about how that works its way out in our life. I'm just talking theologically and biblically of how this transaction happens. So the Christian life we live is his life living in us. He takes up residence in every part of us. That's why Philippians chapter 2, verse 13 says that God is at work in us. God is in us to will and to do of his good pleasure. He is working on what we will and what we do. He's assisting, he's shaping, he's motivating, he's correcting and convicting. He's doing all of those things all of the time. And the Holy Spirit certainly is very glad to live inside us, with us, anointing us. That's his desire. He created us and now he wants, he doesn't want us to live independently of him. He wants us rather to live dependently on him. And he is committed to transforming us to become exactly like the Lord Jesus, Romans 8 verse 29. And that's the point. The church that Jesus is building is made up of people who have Jesus living in them. And that changes attitudes, it changes desires, it changes behaviour, it changes activity, it changes the way we live. If you're not a person who has Jesus living inside of you, then you can admire Jesus, you can be respectful to Jesus, but you won't be experiencing any change or transformation within because that only comes from him. can't do it your own strength. Well, in this chat passage, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, the Lord Jesus goes on to say, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. And that's true. If you're part of the family of God, then you will have a desire to want to share Jesus with others. You will receive power to do so, he says, from his Spirit. God will always be prompting you to do that. Often verbally, but most definitely by lifestyle, that we are to be a living testimony to the Lord Jesus now see this is another correction this corrects the false idea that faith is therefore private and personal it's just between me and God Mm -mm. faith is public and practical the life that is being transformed by the power of Jesus by his spirit within us is going to be obvious to other people there is a change you're a new creature in Christ and Jesus said you start here you start at home you start in Jerusalem and you go out from there here to there and I am really glad that he said to the ends of the earth because that's us we're right on the edge of the ends of the earth we're almost on the complete opposite side to Jerusalem aren't we so it includes us aren't you glad he said that aren't you glad to be included well so too we've got to carry on this same thing start here and then move out from there and then the Lord Jesus leaves the one who had been leading them teaching them praying for them And I bet you they asked, well, what do we do now? They probably had a desire to want to turn to Galilee and tell everybody Jesus was alive, but he said, wait. Don't go anywhere. Wait. 
And so the angel turns up and tells them, you know, Jesus is gone, but Jesus is coming back in exactly the same way. You better do what he said. So they do. They go back into Jerusalem. Second point. What did the first church do while it waited? Well, in chapter 1, verse 14, it says that they were together and they prayed. All of these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there along with his brothers. Exciting text. So they prayed while they're waiting for the Spirit to come. Verse 16 says they were obviously reading the Scriptures because they quote the Scriptures. Chapter 2 of Acts tells us that when the day of Pentecost had arrived, so the ten days are fulfilled, they are all together. There is this sense of unity. They're in this together. And they're all together in one place. And when they're there, suddenly in Acts chapter 2, verses 2, 3 and 4, the Holy Spirit is poured out upon them. The Holy Spirit comes in, in a remarkable way. Tongues of fire and the sound of rushing wind and... And suddenly they have this ability, which is not natural, which is given to them by God, that they can speak another human language. They're speaking in tongues. And they're not simply praising God in tongues. What they're doing is telling the message of what God had done in tongues, telling the great things of what God had done through the person of Jesus. Why did God give them tongues? Because God loves all people. He wants all people to know. And suddenly in Jerusalem, because people had come from various languages and countries and so on, listed in Acts 2, God wanted them to hear in their own dialect, in their own slang words, their own drawl. If there was someone there from England, there would have been a British accent. If there was someone there from Tennessee in the USA, then they would have heard a redneck drawl. Why? Because God loves all people and he wants all people to hear. And he's gone to great measures in order to tell them. God still has the same passion for us to get out and to tell people. Do we have to wait for the Holy Spirit like they did? No. According to God's timetable, uh, this was Pentecost, and so this was a, a special one-off occurrence. We don't have to repeat this. We don't have to gather together and pray for 10 days and wait for the Holy Spirit to come. The Bible says now, once you repent, believe, and receive Jesus, you receive the Holy Spirit. You don't receive some of him, you receive all of him. And then it's a life journey of the Spirit uh, controlling you, shaping you, fulfilling uh, God's will in you, bringing forth the fruit, His fruit, and so on. And you know about this battle and growth, and we're all engaged in that. Okay, that's what the church did while it waited. What did the church understand? This very first church that Jesus is building, and what did they teach? This is the exciting bit. This is in Acts chapter 2. The church started certainly by the Holy Spirit coming upon them. The church will continue the same way. They got to speak in tongues, but the point is not that, but the point is they were witnessing. That continues as well. But then please note, half, because I'm the preacher, but also more seriously, after you receive the Holy Spirit and after they're witnessing, the church starts with a sermon. Church is all about the sermon. It isn't, but I just thought I'd say that. Peter stood up, the authorised version says, and you should all memorise this text, Peter stood up with the eleven and was bold. That's the first mention of what in the Bible? Cricket. (laughs) Jesus stood up with the eleven and was bold. I'm sorry, I won't do that again. It does say that Peter stood up because he's the appointed leader with the other 11 apostles and they were confident, they were strong and they presented Jesus. Now, before we move on, seriously, how the church started is how the church will continue. 
The church, a healthy church, will always teach and preach the Word of God. The church is built upon it. The church will grow through it. It's the Word of God points to the Lord Jesus. The Word of God is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And in fact, that's how God works. He, the Spirit of God takes the Word of God and He uses that to point to the Son of God, Jesus, so that people can become members of the people of God. It's this cyclical thing. The early church, the church that the Lord Jesus is building is one that's based upon his word. And notice this is what Peter does. Where does he start his sermon? Well, he begins by saying, these people are not drunk, as you suppose. They're speaking in other languages and whatever else they were doing. This, verse 16, takes the Bible. This fulfills what the prophet Joel had said. There is this activity of the Holy Spirit. In verse 21, Peter points out, and Joel says, this is for everyone. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then he says, Acts chapter 2, he points them to Jesus. You listen to these words. This is Peter preaching. First day, the beginning of the church. Just receive the Spirit. Holy Spirit comes, and within what? An hour? Short period of time. He's saying these words to the people of Jerusalem. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth points to Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you, to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. These are the words, a summary undoubtedly of the words that Peter is preaching he goes on to say in verse 32, This Jesus God raised up, and of this we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted to the right hand of God, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. What's the explanation for all this? It's Jesus. The Bible, the prophets predicted it. He has come. You killed him. But God raised him up again from the dead. Now he is in heaven. He's received the Spirit and he's given us the Spirit. This is fulfilling what he said would happen. Verse 36, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. What did the church understand and do? They took the word of God and they pointed to Jesus. The church Jesus is building today is exactly the same. It repeats the story that he is alive and he is building his church. No one is excluded but only believers are included. You're invited. The choice is yours to come to Jesus. And when, number four, that's what the first church did. When we do this, when we do what they did, when we pray, when we go to the Scriptures, when we are filled with the Spirit, when we point to Jesus, when we live lives of testimony to others, then God will be at work. That's how he's building it. Acts chapter 2, verse 37. The people say... What are we going to do? God was changing them, convicting them. Because the truth is, you know as well as I do, that when you talk to people about Jesus, some people are open and they're interested and they want to know more. And other people just shut down. Not interested, don't talk to me about that at all. Or why? Why the difference? Well, God is at work here. And the people are getting a softer heart and beginning to respond to it. That's the Spirit of God working, convicting and drawing. What's happening here? Is God not at work? Well, if God is at work, it's not obvious yet. And that's why they are still resistant. So don't push, don't 
Just work where God is working. Go with the flow. What shall we do? He says, verse 38, Peter says, you need to repent, become Baptists in the name of the Lord Jesus. <laughs> Isn't that what it says? Why? For the forgiveness of sins and you will receive the Holy Spirit. Note that. What Jesus told them, he tells them. What Jesus started and did with the apostles, they tell the next generation and that generation is to tell that generation and so on and so on and so on. So too for us. We are to tell the next generation. You need to repent, be baptised for the forgiveness of sins and receive the Holy Spirit. Again, Peter says it, verse 39, he's emphasising, this is for everyone. It's for you, for your children and for those who are far off in Brisbane, Australia. Far off. Verse 41, remarkably, this is how you know God was at work. Those who received his word were baptised and they were added to the church. Jesus is building his church. He's adding to the church by people becoming believers, being baptised, being added to the church. Let me just unpack that just a little about what Peter has done here. Who is Peter preaching to? He's preaching to good people. He's preaching to religious people, devout people. Where were they? In Jerusalem. Why were they there? Festival of Pentecost. How did they get there? They walked. You didn't walk to church this morning. They walked. They put in the effort. It was a commitment. For some of them, it would have been a once in a lifetime. For some of them, it was a regular annual trip. Hot, rugged, no shops on the way, no drinks, no nothing on the way. These people put in the effort and they came. They were loyal. Loyal religious Jewish worshippers. That's who he's preaching to. They were the people who gave money to the temple. They were the people who read the scriptures. And most of them were literate. But if they weren't literate, then they went to the synagogue every Sabbath and they heard the scriptures read to them. They didn't eat pork. They were memorising the 613 laws in the Old Testament about how, excuse me, the way they ought to live. They were devout. They were loyal people. And what does Peter say to them? It's not enough. It's terrific. You're that committed. You're that devout. You're that religious. It's not enough. You need Jesus. It's not about religion. It's about his resurrection. It's about a relationship with him. You can be committed to the Jewish rules, but you need Jesus. You can't be connected to God without his Holy Spirit. And you only get the Spirit as you receive Jesus. You can admire him, but you can't experience him. You can be born into a religious family, but you need to be born again into God's family. I wonder where you're at. Is that your story? Are you part of a religious family? Live your life by morality? Live your life by traditions or rules or by religion? It's not enough. That's not what Jesus wants for you. If you want to be part of his church, then you need to become a submissive believer to him. So what does he tell them? You need Jesus. You need to receive him. His life for us on the cross and now his life in us, empowering the church. Jesus is alive, doing what he wants. And then they, they say, well, what have we got to do? And he says, you need to repent. You need to be baptised for the forgiveness of sins and you need to receive the Spirit. You need to repent. What's that mean? You need to change your mind and thinking. You need to change your heart and you need to change your direction. Repentance is about change. Change what you think about God. Move from being an atheist to being a theist. Move from being a person who thinks God is angry and indifferent to understanding that God is, in fact, loving and kind. He's the creator who wants a relationship with you. 
change of view about sin, change of view about the Bible and about Jesus. It's change your mind about don't, don't hide your sin, don't blame others for your sin, don't diminish the impact of your sin, don't offer excuses for it, don't try just managing your sin, but rather face it. And honest, this is wrong. What I said, what I did, what I'm thinking, how I'm acting, if it's sin, it's wrong. And I have that conversation with God, Lord, this is wrong. I'm not offering excuses anymore and I'm not blaming anybody else. I did it. I am the one who is guilty and I need to be forgiven. And I don't want to do it again. If you've done that, then God certainly promises that he will forgive and that he will send his spirit to live in you, the life of Jesus in you. Then what do they do? They became Baptists. Uh, sorry, they got baptised. Notice baptism follows repentance. I know there's a rejoinder to that, but in the text, it's baptism, it's repentance. It's dealing with this stuff in my life and then becoming a public testimony. That's what baptism is. It's a public witness to the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. It's an outward demonstration of an inward transformation. Why? Well, the passage says, for the forgiveness of sins. Don't misunderstand that. It's not we get baptised so that we can be forgiven. It's we get baptised because we have been forgiven. It's the way you understand the word for. It's kind of a little bit technical, but let me try and be just very quick and simple. This person is in jail for murder. This person is in prison or jail, whatever, for murder. The for means he is in prison because he has committed the act of murder. Not he is in prison so that he can commit the act of murder. Make sense? Thank you for those who nodded. I'll just, I'll just move on. The four means here that you have received the forgiveness of sins and therefore you show that publicly by baptism. Simple as that. And receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. God is more than glad to place his spirit in you. You get a new nature, new desires, new power. And please note, this is exciting, this little bit. You're a link in the chain. This promise is for you and for your children and for those who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. It's for you and it's for your children. We're links in the chain. You might be the first link. You might be the last link. You might be part of the broken link. Maybe somebody else in your family is a broken link that it's not getting passed on. But the point is that we are to pass on this faith that we have to the next generation, to our children. Rhonda and I are the first link in the chain. Our children are the second link. They've become followers and believers in the Lord Jesus. Our grandchildren are too young yet, but they will. They'll become, they'll become believers. They'll become followers of the Lord Jesus. And God help them if they don't. Have you? Have you faced your sin? Have you repented? You said, this is wrong. Have you said to God, I need you to forgive me? Have you been baptised? Have you received the Holy Spirit and are you responding to his influence in your life? Well, back in chapter 2, verse 41, back in the early church, the first church, those who received his word were baptised and were added to the church. That's membership. Church Jesus' building, let me finish with this, is what happened in Jesus' life is what happens in the church of the Lord Jesus. It's repeated. He was one who received the Spirit and operated through the influence and leading of the Spirit. So too for the church. We are to follow the leading of his spirit 
in us, both personally but also corporately. That's why we have members' meetings. We come together to, what's the Lord saying to us? That's what they're supposed to be about. The Church of Jesus is made up of regenerate members. No one is excluded. Everybody is invited. But only believers are included. The message is the same. Just like Peter gave it, so we are to give it to. You need Jesus. You need to repent. You need to believe. The passage then goes on to talk about what this early church was like. They were learning. There was relationships. There was communion. They were praying. They were performing miracles. They were united. They were sharing with one another. They were sharing with caring for the needy. There was public worship in the temple. And there was hospitality and small groups. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47. And then it finishes by saying, the early church, this church of the Lord Jesus, filled with his life, was a church that was glad and generous in heart, praising God and having favour with the people. It was attractive to the outsider. What have you guys got? Where did you get it? Can I have it? That's the church of the Lord Jesus. Our time is gone. I'm going to uh, read to you Philippians chapter 2 and then I'll pray. And I think we'll just finish our service there. We won't um, sing our final song. Listen to these words of the Apostle Paul that he writes to the early church. He says, chapter 2 verse 12, Therefore, dear friends, as you have always obeyed, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For God is at work in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you will shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. That's his commission. That's what he wants for us. The church the Lord Jesus is building is one made up of believers who want to make other people believers. How about we stand together and we'll pray together. In future weeks, we'll do this during the last song. But let me just say this. If you're here this morning and God has been speaking to you and you would like someone to pray for you, there might be somebody right beside you, they could pray for you. But if you would like to come to the front and so then there'll be somebody here, I'll stay at the front and be willing to pray with you. It may be a response to today's message or it might be you've got a heavy heart, you've got an issue, you've got a burden, you've got something going on in your life and you just need someone to pray for you. If you would like to come forward after the service, um, I'll only stay here for a couple of minutes if nobody comes and then I'll go torment people out there. Let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you again that you're a God who is, hasn't given up on the world but a God who is at work in the world. Thank you for sending the Lord Jesus. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for the power of your death, resurrection and ascension. And thank you, Lord, for sending your spirit. May your spirit fill all of the believers in this place. May we be a church, Lord Jesus, that you're building. May you unite us, empower us and help us to walk in tune with your heartbeat, caring for others and especially those still on the outside of the kingdom. Lord Jesus, continue to work in us. Fill us with your spirit and grant to us the blessing of your mercy and peace. Bless us, Lord Jesus, we pray as we go into the days of this week and we pray this in your name.
Everybody said? Amen. Thank you very much.